Hello and welcome to the Fabulous Woman podcast. It's finally here and I'm your host, Marvereen Cole, journalist and broadcaster. So let's go. So let's look at the dictionary definition of fabulous. It can mean very good, wonderful, or even extraordinary. And every woman featured in this inaugural season of the Fabulous Woman podcast is definitely fabulous in her own unique way, overcoming sometimes some quite shocking adversities in her life to come out fighting and flourishing in her work and family life. It's unlikely to be filled with celebrity names, this podcast. I know you can go and find loads of other podcasts that will be packed full of stars. Um, And I'm never saying never. I'm not saying no. But that isn't the focus for me with this one. Um, This is about very personal stories of everyday, ordinary women who've achieved something extraordinary in their lives. So what do I want you to take away from this podcast and each episode? What I'd like to think, you might find it relaxing to listen to, you might learn something new or end up getting some better understanding of, you know, different perspectives, viewpoints that are different to your own. Um, But also, I think, you know, a lot of these women are great inspirations Um, They might give you the the kick up the backside to go and do something um, that you've always wanted to do or give you some advice about how to handle a problem you might be going through. But rest assured, um, spellbinding or inspiring stories, one and all. So the first ever star of episode one, season one, is Georgie Mosley. I'm not going to give too much away. But if you're from the Midlands, you've probably heard of her name and the incredible charity she established with her late son, Help Harry Help Others. And it's a charity that she now continues to run. And I just wanted to be really clear before you listen that some distressing emotional issues are covered in this one. Experience of bereavement after cancer, of someone taking their own life and of domestic violence are all discussed here. So please don't listen if you feel it might be upsetting or triggering for you. Turn off now and look out for other editions of the podcast. But if you're sticking with me, then find some quiet time where you won't be interrupted to listen to Georgie Mosley, Fabulous Woman. For anybody who doesn't know you, um, give us like a little potted history. What is it you do and why do you do it? And then we're going to kind of go back in time. Yeah. Oh, wow, me. I suppose uh, I'm just your average working class woman uh, on the street. But I now am founder and CEO of a cancer charity. Um, which is never something that I aspired to do or be. I never worked for a charity or was in fundraising or never had my own business. But cancer impacted on our family in a dramatic way and um, it's led me to do now do what I do. And if you had three words, if there were three words that really summed you up as a person, um, what do you think they might be? Change. Yeah, definitely change. Um, I'm a doer and um, I think always stand by what you believe in. Sorry, that's not three words, but in terms of three things that summarise me, I'd say um, always stand by what you believe in. Three key sentiments, kind of mottos that you you live by. Absolutely. Great. 
So take us back then. Um, you know, you obviously know that this podcast is about, you know, women who have been through adversity, who've triumphed through adversity, who've um, changed their lives or their cha- or their lives have been changed immeasurably by something. Um, and this is very much about, you know, women telling their story to perhaps offer some inspiration to others. Yes. Um, so what what were the life changing moments for you that um that you've now overcome would you say Um first of all I think there's many many things like everybody out there I think you go through you can go through so many things in your life I suppose what I've become known for and the most prominent one um and the one that's absolutely had the most impact on me was when my son was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 7 um, and going through that journey, having to give up work, um, become his carer, um, which obviously was my absolute pleasure. You know, you feel so helpless as a parent watching your child go through something like that. And it was the only way that I could help my son, Harry. So um, so that's, I suppose that's what I'm known for, really. Everybody associates me. It's, it's I'm Miss Doom and Gloom, the cancer conversation. Um, but it had a profound impact on the whole family unit. Um, not just Harry, but his brother and sister, uh, me and my husband at the time, um, our finances, our routine, our lifestyle, and ultimately, which has now led to, to me running the, the, the Help Harry Help Others Cancer Charity um, and continuing with Harry's great work. But there's also so many other things, you know, I can, if I was real enough, I, I can empathise and understand I've been through domestic violence, I've had severe financial problems, lost my home because of the cancer illness, I lost my mum to suicide and, and she suffered with depression and mental health for many years and I lost her 15 months after I lost my son Harry and and I think again that still adds, whilst I first and foremost run the cancer charity, I support the mental well-being of cancer patients and their family. So I bring, you know, Harry and our story into it and where there was gaps and I was frustrated and wanted to make change. But also in terms of, you know, mental health is so high now on the agenda and so many people are coming forward and and I'm, I'm really thrilled that it's been more recognised because it is an illness and it has a massive impact and anything in life can trigger that off. Um, so, um, yeah, I suppose that's, in a nutshell, you know, uh, my story, really. And just hearing everything you've just said there, Georgie, just blows my mind because all of those traumatic events that you've been through in your mm. life, you know, if someone had experienced even one or if someone has experienced one of those series of things that you've just talked about... Um, you know, they it could completely crush them as a person. So how have you managed to stay true to who you are and keep on ploughing through and living your life as best you can? I mean, the, let's start with how you dealt with that change in life after Harry's diagnosis. You said mm-hmm. everything changed for you. How did you keep your strength? Where did that come from? I suppose you just have it's, it's it's the focus on the here and the now. Okay, so obviously when Harry's you know was diagnosed, it came completely as a shock out of the blue, um, 
and we had to just focus on Harry, getting him through treatment. So then the first thing was, right, well, when's treatment starting? You know, what's going to happen? When's the treatment starting? And that's all, you know, uh, yes, you have your end goal, your end vision of Harry getting through 18 months of treatment and then hopefully being better. But you just focus on what's happening today and in the present, what's the current chapter, as I call it. Um, and I think that's it, really. I think sometimes, you know, we can dwell too much. I can sit in, at night you know, in bed and lie and ponder over everything that life's thrown. Um, and the cards that, you know, I've had so many things where they're just out of your control. Or you can just, you know... Not what's done's done, you know, um, having Harry with cancer and losing him to that, losing my mum, all the things that I've been through, they will all have an impact, but I think they actually make you who you are and all that you stand for. And um, for me to be in a position to make change and help people with going through the same experiences, um, you know, I, Harry taught me always focus on the positives and I can't change what's happened. I can't bring Harry back, can't bring my mum back. You know, and even in terms of when I when I lost Harry and making that decision to become a cancer charity, at first I had no intention. I was very angry, very you know, obviously, and still am very upset. I miss Harry, you know, every day. It'll be nearly eight years in October since that Harry we lost Harry, but it still, as a parent, feels like yesterday. However, I take from it that you know all that we went through. I was frustrated and angered that there was a there wasn't the support in the community everything was a fight and a struggle and I just sort of thought what sort of person would I be to walk away now me you know with my you know as as many me as I call it you know from from Sheldon in Birmingham trying to tackle the government systems and policies and something I'm never going to make that change it would take years and years of campaigning and you know I'm all for campaigning but I also had to take care of me too so in the immediacy to deal with it it's like why do I have to just follow suit and you know tackle the powers that be when I have you know my son had left an amazing platform because he actually started his fundraising campaign you know um, at the age of nine and so I was able to use that he left an amazing legacy and I've used that to create what I felt should be here for people in the here and the now um, and that's my focus, you know. As I said, it's the here and the now that matters, and it, it's making that change in all, all ways possible that I can as a human being. Tell us about Harry. Draw us a picture of him. Who was he? He was very funny, very cheeky, very witty. Um, he has uh, he brought so much humour to my life, and I don't think I have ever, in eight years since I lost Harry, laughed the way that I used to daily um you know I, I I think about him my eye I can feel my heart burst my eyes light up um and I sort of become alive again and um there's a huge element of um life I will always be under a cloud from the loss of Harry because he was we worked so closely together you know he wasn't just my son and I know every parent is a cliche everybody says that but I think because of his fundraising campaign, we were always off in London and all sorts of places, um, spending so much time together. And because of his treatment, you know, we were forever in hospital. Um, so we just had an exceptional bond. And, um, you know, I'm now in a world where I've got two other amazing children, you know, and every, each of them are individual. Um, but life's a very lonely place without Harry. And I think it always will be to the day I die. And you talk about campaigning and um, 
the 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 issues around um, policy. Were there any issues around policy that you felt affected Harry's treatment? Is that what you were alluding to? No, I think it's more so that, you know, first and foremost, when you go through any life-changing illness like cancer, like Harry had, um, health is obviously first and foremost. You know, the treatment and the health is the first priority. But actually it affects so much more. That diagnosis, that what you're going through can make so much change. And actually, you know, I feel very strongly and passionate about we have to look after the whole person. Um, you know, cancer, so for an example, you know, for us as a family, me having to give up work, I was the main income earner in our home, which meant the next month we couldn't pay our mortgage. You know, we're, we've never had anything grand. As I said, average working family, um, where we'd bought, um, you know, we've got your basic three bedroom semi, two cars on the drive, which were company cars. So they automatically went, um, lived to our means, you know, holidays in Europe every year. Kids didn't want for anything, but had I got any savings? No, I hadn't, you know. And I think a lot of families live to that, you know, and struggle financially. Um, and it was just even finding out what can we do, where can we go, where can we get that advice? And it felt like everybody that was sort of allocated to us, they didn't know. And I get that people, you know, in, in some of the larger organisations, you know, they have, they're dealing with volumes of people. And it was, you know, we can't help try them, we can't help try them. And it was so frustrating because I one of the sayings, you know, time is so precious. And for me, all that time that I wasted, and actually I didn't have the clarity in my mind to think straight, to make decisions. Um, and I think it led to, you know, totally my fault, but some of the decisions we made as a family, I don't think we would have, you know, in, in, a, in a normal situation. Why do you say totally your fault? Surely, you know, those all of the, all of those decisions to be made did not fall on your shoulders alone. No, but for example, you know, when we faced losing our home, uh, we thought we were doing the right thing. We decided to put the the, the property up for sale. We got a, a, we just actually renovated our house, which was, um, uh, yeah, just uh, it, it felt like that was why it was meant to be. We mm. just renovated the house because something was going to happen and we we're going to have to sell it. Mm. Um, but you just deal with it. You just get on with it. So for us having to sell the house, we felt we were doing the right thing. And then walking into our local, you know, neighbourhood offices, which them are closing nowadays. So it's harder for people to access support in the community. Yeah. Um, you know, we, were, we weren't given the advice. And the way we were spoken to and um, just told that, well, if you, you know, you've done the wrong decision. You're making yourself homeless. by you know, But we felt that was our only choice. We walked away from there with absolutely no information, no support at all from this one, one advice. And it's not everybody in that. Like any business or service, you know, there's good people and bad. And unfortunately, I think we just saw an advisor that was just not, you know, prepared to, to go that extra mile, so to speak. Um, so we walked away and made some decisions about, well, we've got to sell it. What can we do? You know, we didn't realise at the time that there's actually schemes out there. If your income's affected you and you go into like a rented accommodation, you can get housing support. We didn't know. We hadn't been on benefits. So the choices that we made were from the lack of information and we felt forced to... And actually, the house that we then downsized to and bought, we knew we couldn't afford, you know, on my husband's wages. And mm. it was dreadful you know you wouldn't you, the, the government wouldn't rent a, a council property out in the state what we had to move really? us and, and at the thick of the time you know harry was in the thick of his chemotherapy um 
you know, he'd got no very low immune system, so he had to be very careful. And it was just on top of constantly being at hospital and then trying to renovate a house within a week and turn it around. And we knew that we couldn't afford it. And it was only in a period of time before we faced losing that house because we'd gone down to just my, my husband's income. So, But that's what I'm saying. You know, that was our choice. We made that. We moved forward. But I think if we'd have got the right support and advice and information... There might have, been, well, there obviously was, you know, it become apparent after that there was, there's lots of other choices out there. So I think communication is a massive part. And I think sometimes we're just not pulling everything together yeah, in the cancer world. Abs- and, and, and we've got to look at the bigger picture. Yeah. And I guess that's what you're doing with your charity in terms of um, being, you know, equipping people with as much information as they can or as much as out there. Because obviously you've discovered these sources of of information that actually need to be in one place or in one yes uh, with one resource um talking about all of those issues around um moving house and so on and the, and the lack of support or, and the lack of communication there mm-hmm. in, in you know g- giving you some some um, suggestions as to what to do next yes for you mentally in your head where were you because that Oh, clearly, you know, everyone listening is going to go, that is an, a massive amount of strain that you were under, mm. a massive amount of pressure that you were under. What was your brain like at that time? At first, you know, I, I had a period where, I, you know, I was Harry's carer and me and my husband actually did a swap, uh, a, like a, a job swap, really. Once um, Harry's treatment didn't work, his chemotherapy, he had radiotherapy and then he had a period of time of being okay in himself. So he was at school regularly and with that in mind, you know, I knew I could take the pressure off my husband straight away. Um, so I d- decided to return to work. But I was actually, I used to drive home and, you know, I was in a role that was sales covering the whole country and I used to pull up outside my house of a night and I actually used to want to, in my head, I just wanted to burn it down because it was keeping me away from being with my son. We never knew the outcome for Harry. We never knew we were going to lose him. But even so, him going, you know, and it it was the house that was doing all of that. So, but then I just thought, you know what, it's bricks and mortar. You know, what's important is me, my family and us being together. And I always say, you know, with a with with running the charity now, you know, what we try and do is support, as I say, the mental well being of cancer patients and their family. The dropping cancer centre that I created back in two thousand and fifteen now offers seventeen services. So we deal with all life issues that are a result of that cancer, you know, impact. And every family unit is different and unique and individual. Um, So for us, it's offering everything from under one roof. I'm not the housing officer, the benefits, the specialist, the debt and financial advisor. But every one of those services, other than the benefits, uh, other than, sorry, the breast care and uh, bra fitting service and the wig fitting, are services that actually would have, could have helped me if, you know, we'd have got that support. So, you know, yes, I'm extremely proud of the way and the impact that we can have because just to eliminate that worry and stress that goes on in people's heads, you know, um, so many people affected by mental health and when problems spiral out of control, you know, they, they end up, they get depression and then it increases further. And what we want to do is offer an immediacy service and that's that's my whole frustration with anything, not just cancer. I wish there was more of me to create this intervention of... Because everybody goes to their GP when they're at absolute rock bottom. And it's actually, what about the here and the now? If there's somewhere you can go and somewhere you can get that help and 
it stops everything spiralling. Yeah, actually, you're right. The interim help almost, you know, not waiting until you're rock bottom. You know, where can you check into somewhere and just say, this is happening at the moment and I'm feeling a little bit rocky. And even, I mean, that's easier said than done because sometimes some people can't recognise the signs absolutely um but if you do recognize the signs and you say i'm feeling not well that i need to talk through issues then there needs to be that kind of yeah intermediate stage and that's what you've created with you, with your charity how on earth did you go from um of course you know dealing with harry's diagnosis and his treatment um and being enveloped in that as well as a fundraising mm-hmm. then Harry passes away and you decide consciously to continue this. Mm-hmm. How on earth, where did you find the resolve to do that? At first, when Harry passed away, um, I didn't even want to leave the house. Um, but I think the following that Harry had and the support that he had, and and actually I think it, I think it was definitely the, the, you know, the public support because we didn't realise, I knew Harry was amazing. But Harry didn't realise he was amazing. You know, it was only actually at Harry's funeral. I mean, we had in Birmingham, there's the the main Coventry Road, the A45, which is a very busy dual carriageway. You know, it was blocked off for for Harry's funeral procession. And the church, you know, in St Edburgers, there was hundreds of people there. And we, as a family, we had no idea because we just got on with what Harry wanted to do you know, which was to help his friend Robert, first of all, and the campaign just grew and grew and grew. You know, we still lived in our little council house and I still live there today. And it's um, it was just really overwhelming, but I had no, as, as a mum, I just thought, well, that's it, Harry's gone. What's the point? And obviously I did, I had an element of anger that just, if anybody on this earth deserved to be here, it was Harry. Um, you know, he was the creator of what I do now and um, he'd helped so many people and raised hundreds of thousands of pounds and um, I'd, I'd just lost all sense of faith. But it was actually the public and seeing the response and everybody wanting to do something and actually the children that were inspired and that was the kickstart for me of saying, you know what, I can't change our story but I can with what Harry has left behind Still having him as the the face of his charity and his story is what makes us unique. But I can use that to benefit other people in the here and the now. And I sat down with Harry's brother and sister because it was important to to me that I had their support. And if at any time they'd have said, Mum, no, you know, um, I wouldn't have gone ahead with it. But it has its pros and it has its cons, you know. Do I think I've ever really had time to grieve for Harry? No. But I get to talk about Harry in a positive way every single day of my life. And, you know, the one, the positive thing I always say is ways cancer can never take away that I will always be Harry's mum and I will always be here to support him, or in this case, his work. That's absolutely astounding. And I think, you know, um, everyone would would applaud you in saying, you know, you you talk to your children about whether or not this was the, the right thing to do to carry on the yeah. work because without their support, I can imagine, you know, it, it, it would have been impossible almost, wouldn't it? Because there would have been, I imagine, resentment amongst Absolutely. everybody. Yeah, yeah, they had been, and I always say, you know, I am so proud of Louis and Danny, which is Harry's brother and sister. They have been through so much more than Harry ever did, you know, with what they saw Harry endure at the end, the last four months of his life, being in hospital, being sent down for surgery, being in a coma for three months and not waking up. 
and then having to deal with the you know he died at home we brought him home and he passed away um and then with everything after every happy element in our family you know is always saddened with a cloud of what would harry do what would harry say and there's always there will always be that sense of loss you know for harry and um but you know me and my husband are now separated and me and my children are very close my son still lives at home but if they'd have said no mom you can't do this you know then absolutely firstly i wouldn't have but i think in life overall we all need a purpose and selfishly for me i needed you know louis and danny are my purpose to get up every day and i had to find something that would be my driving force to show them that harry will always be in my head and my heart but we have to carry on you know and that was and that was it for me and also the 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 fact that we could help other families and not we can't change the outcomes for cancer families you know um, not even the doctors can uh, whatever is meant to be is meant to be but what we can do is eliminate all that pressure that worry and support them wherever we can in all the things outside of treatment and just make that i hate the word cancer journey but we can that their pathway of cancer we can help that as as smooth a transition as possible so they can focus on just being a family and being together and that is so so important because there are you know cancer is so prevalent now in our society and um you know the health professionals and the clinicians will say you know that's a combination of things from everyone's you know, diet and lifestyle and just the world that we live in now that is so much more polluted and all the rest of it. Um, tell us, kind of give us a snapshot of the, the, the types of um, help that the charity offers. Okay, so we've got three funds, Help Cure, Help Cope, Help Care. Help Cure is where we fund vital research, actually right here in Birmingham. Um, And Help Cope is where we give grants to families suffering financial hardship. So we don't give them money, but we support them with the practical things like petrol, parking, food shopping, uh, food vouchers. Um, If the washing machine blows up, we pay for a lot of funerals, sadly, you know, Um, because you can't even start to grieve until that bill. You don't want a red letter for somebody's... I had it, you know, I couldn't afford to pay for my own son's funeral and there was nothing more soul-destroying as a parent and a sense of failure that you feel. Um, And actually, last week, I had to do um, uh, an article um, for a local newspaper just about the the fact that the government are now, um, you know, they've set up a bereavement fund for children's funerals, which is just absolutely brilliant, you know, in the way, how it should be. Um, And then we have help care. So we used to give money to other amazing charities, and we've given over £400,000 to other charities here in, in the West Midlands. But in 2015, when I had the idea of Birmingham's first dropping cancer support centre of its kind, um, we obviously, we self-fundraise, so we don't get any funding, no government funding. We, we've never applied for it, so, you know, that's not their fault. That's that's my fault, because there's not enough hours in the day. Uh, and I'm not a trained bid writer. But, um, so I do a lot of fundraising. Let me stop you there, would you? You know, in terms of applying to, I don't know about the eligibility of things like uh, lottery funding and so on, but is that something that you would want to do? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Moving forwards, if you know, had a for big us, we're very, we're very tiny. You yeah. know, there's there's three of us day to day at Help Harry. People mm. think we are a large charity, but we're so not. Everything is done in house. You know, I do all the social media, the fundraising, and you know, the team do a great job. Um, but on site at the cancer centre, you know, we offer 
the the idea of it is that it's home from home and everything available from under one roof to save time. So we offer people can drop in for emotional support or a listening service. They don't need an appointment. Uh, we offer professional counselling. Uh, benefits advice, housing advice, debt and financial advice. We have breast care and bra fitting, wig fitting. Uh, we have a range of Reiki, uh, sorry, holistic therapies, including Reiki, reflexology. Um, and then we do a range of social activities. We have people come in on a monthly basis to talk on, do deliver workshops on various topics like coping with loss, anxiety, depression, mindfulness sessions. You know, everybody's individual and what they need and what help will help them move forwards is based on them and nobody should judge you know I've had people say oh that that, you know all the holistic stuff that's quite fluffy really isn't it you know but actually for our carers who don't get chance to have time out for themselves to be able to enable them to come in lie on a massage bed and have 45 minutes of just free pampering you know when they perhaps can't afford to go and have a spa day it's it can be the most uplifting thing and invigorating thing to help them move forwards and cope with all they do for the following week. And actually, it's really interesting, you know, you offer those um, types of services where people might traditionally have gone, well, yeah, they're fluffy. What's it going to do for me? But you have the option there to to try one of those services and you don't even know the yeah. change it could, you know, Absolutely. act in you, really. Yeah. yeah. It can be the most calming and relaxing, you know, so many people say I've never ever in my life felt so relaxed, you know, mm. and that's what it's about. It helps, it's their coping mechanism. Um, and overall, we support adults and children affected by any type of cancer. I also get quite passionate about the working cancer community. You know, everything seems to be in society nine to five. Mm. So we open every Thursday till 9pm. So those that are working or if they're carers, you know, because and actually it affects whilst we support adults and children affected by cancer we're actually there for everybody associated with that patient so we look after the patient the carer the family member the friend the work colleague the school friend because actually they feel it too and again in today's society there's so many families that have broken down that family uh, friends they might not be blood relatives but actually their family yeah so what about their support what about the help that they need if they need to talk or offload or perhaps need to counselling because they just can't cope or deal with what's life's thrown at them? It's a huge ripple effect in that Absolutely. sense, isn't it? And it's not just the one person who has the diagnosis. Like you said, yeah, there's a huge effect of the, the kind of family, the community around them. Um, and you're talking about, um, you know, discussion, opening up, of having time to think and breathe um, and mental illness being very, very important Mm. to you as well and mental health being important to you. Um, You spoke about it earlier, you touched upon it earlier about your your mum committing suicide. Yeah. Not long, did you say 18 months after? 15 months after Harry. Harry. And I think Harry was the final straw for my mum, you know. She'd suffered with... Um, depression for many years um, and ended up um, turning to alcohol Um, and I remember before Harry's diagnosis you know um, poor late teens I mean I left home at 18 you know mainly because of it not falling out with mum still very close with her but I just needed my own space and and, you know life's about choices and and sometimes you know when mum chose to drink I didn't want to surround myself you know with that so but always been there for her again I found it really frustrating trying to get 
the support for her. Um, you know, those times that I just dragged her to many doctors and GPs and turned up, you know, we're trying to get referrals for the mental health team and it was just so hard. And actually, mum could actually, flick, you know, she could flick a switch and um, she was very clever at saying, I'm okay. You know, because, but, you know, in the end, we were sort of videoing episodes that mum would have where she'd hallucinate and all sorts of things going on to try and make people believe me as a daughter and all that we were trying to deal with, you know. Um, so it was just really, really hard. But what was the, what was worse was when we got, when Harry was diagnosed and mum was still obviously going through this. And we'd have calls at hospital that mum had been taken into hospital or she'd been found wandering the streets or so many things. And it was, you know, at the time I was quite angry because, you know, I was like, you're choosing to do this, you know. But that was her way of blotting everything out because of the, the issues that she had surrounding mental health, you know. And at that age, I didn't understand. But I think, you know, as we grow older, I think I've I've lived more, I've experienced more and I... I totally understand now, you know, how anything, I could have quite easily, you know, I'm so thankful for my two children that are left here with me. Would I be here on this earth without them? I don't know, you know, but they they are my purpose, my driving force. And actually seeing what mum went through, a lot of people have said to me, you know, after Harry Dodge, you know, how can you even function, you know? And the point is, I've got Louis and Danny. And actually seeing what my mum did and the impact that had on me, I could never put that onto my children, you know? Um, and that's what I focus on. So it's, um, but it was hard. It was shocking. Um, it was at a period of time when actually it was like mum was getting better. Uh, and they often say that. And then the, the she'd had a, an attempt a few years prior and put herself in a coma actually and she came through that and I just thought you know what if that doesn't change your mindset now to reach out get that help and whatever um but it's because she was too ill and she couldn't so um and she ended up just being on her she lived on her own um my parents separated some years ago um and she, yeah, she took an overdose and vodka and we had a call out of the blue just to say, you know, we found your mum and um, it was the hardest thing. And I, I just thought, first of all, I was like, no, you know, I actually giggled. I think it was a nervous laugh, but I was like, no. And to go and see her flat taped off and police outside and I, the worst thing was not being allowed in until they had obviously finished um, but yeah, um, a bunch of suicide notes for family and, um, yeah, that was it. She was gone. And how did her death affect you? What was the impact on you? It's been, it was shocking. Um, I still today have disbelief that mum's not here, but I think I was still really grieving for Harry as well. And I don't think I've been enabled to take it in as much because of the pain I'm still going through even eight years on you know um I mean this was back in 2014 with mum you know I lost Harry sorry 2013 I lost Harry in 2011 um but it was just hard and on top of everything when you're already going through that pain I think it would have had more of an impact on me you know I miss my mum terribly um and she was 
as my mum without the illness, she was the most kind-hearted person, funniest. She was, you know, the, the, the life and soul of any party or family gathering. And we were extremely close and, until probably through, I was about 15 and, and her illness was getting worse. But And I was the only child. I haven't got any brothers and sisters. So, um, you know, I spent a lot of time with mum and, uh, and I miss her every single day, you know. We we all need our parents and we all need someone to turn to and mum was the one that obviously I could talk to and um yeah, so it's it's it, it it's sad but I take comfort in knowing that she was very unhappy and very miserable for a number of years and obviously with the depression and things and I, she always wanted to be with her dad and I take comfort in knowing that she's at peace now. All that was going on in her mind is now at rest. Georgie, I am sitting here just, I don't really know what to say because I'm in such shock about everything that you've been through and how you sitting in front of me are the epitome of strength. That's, you know, how you present yourself to me. And, um, you know, hearing about your mum and hearing about Harry, how have you then been able to um, offer strength and comfort to your children so that they are, you know, the incredible youngsters that they are today? They are amazing, and yeah, I mean, I always try and acknowledge them, uh, and we are very, very close, you know, they're very independent now, they're 22 and 25, I'm actually a grandma, I've got a two-year-old granddaughter who is the absolute, she was the first real bit of good news that we had since Harry passed away, and obviously then, you know, losing mum. But, you know, all I can surround my kids with is love, and they are the richest young people in the world with the love that I can give them. I can't give them much in terms of, you know, the the, the fluffy stuff, the nice things in life, you know, but I can always be there, and they they know that they're my world, and um, and I will always support them in any way that, that I can. Um, you know, whatever problems they know they can come and talk to me about, you know, um, and I think that's the most important thing. One more point I wanted to bring up again with you. You did mention it, um, and it's totally your call if you want to talk about this. You alluded to domestic violence mm-hmm. in the past. Um, do you want to talk about that time of your life? I think it's just, you know, and I think the whole point of, of raising that earlier was that I think as as people, and even now our cancer patients, you know, they don't just have that going on. People go through so many different things in their life and um, and, and so many things can inflict upon us. But it, it's, I think it's the mindset and how we move forwards. You know, I'd had... Um, I ended up at the lowest point once in a domestic violence hostel and I then, you know, stupidly went back. But it was because, again, it was that, well, what do you do? And it's that fear of the unknown and changing. It's so easy, you know, your life becomes, life's a habit, you know, and our surroundings and our environment and our day-to-day routine and who we turn to. To break that cycle is the hardest thing Ever and to anybody that's going through that right now, you know, I, I I totally understand your mindset. I've been there, but it is the best thing that I ever did. You know, life is too short, and 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 a lot of things that I face now. Harry's story taught me that. You know, I lost him. He was eleven. 
life is too short and you have to make the most of what you have and actually you know you deserve to be treated with the utmost of whoever you are you know we're all great human beings and we deserve love respect and um you know we deserve the best in life and it's once you recognize that that's problem i think it's only when you can actually recognize what's going on you know a lot of people can be in control in relationships and sometimes it doesn't have to be and it doesn't have to be physical abuse but there's a lot of mental abuse and that's also what i had to deal with you know constant barking when i got home um and you have to, you know, only you can make that change and break that cycle. And whilst that might, to anybody going through that right now, that might be the hardest thing and decision that you have to make. But I promise you, you, from a voice of experience, there is nothing better than the feeling and sense of peace of mind. And that's what I have now. And never will I, would I move forwards and accept that, you know, in a relationship, no matter how much you think somebody loves you or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, again, it's just breaking that cycle, isn't it? Only we can make that change and, and we have choices in life and only we can choose the way that we move forwards. With Harry, do I sit? Do I do what my mum did? Do I sit and cry every day? Of course, I, I'm human and I, and I am actually very, I wouldn't say I'm strong, but it's just what choice do I have? I have to, I have to move on. Because ultimately, all I see out of I, I've got two eyes, and in each one I see Danny and I see Louis, and that's my driving force to keep me on the path to hopefully creating change for lots of people in lots of different areas. And whilst I do it now for the the cancer charity, you know, I am looking at something else to help people with all life impacts that I can share my experiences on and really help people to be able to. It's okay to admit you're not okay, and it's okay to talk about things. You're absolutely right. It is okay to say you're not okay. And Mm. that's something, you know, I only realised in recent years. And when you do open up, it helps. And, um, you know, as long as you've got a good support structure, people around you, whether that's friends, whether that's family, whether that's a wider community, you know, it's, well, in my experience, you know, when you do that, when I've done that, then people come in to help and swoop you up and you know yeah. kind of push you down that path of it's okay let's get you better let's suggest this that yeah. and the other and so you're talking about you're working on something can we prize that out of you what is it <laughs> you're going to do because I was going to talk about um you know um what's what's the future hold you know what what sort of plans have you got for the future for the charity well first and foremost obviously help Harry help others will always be you know, in my heart, it's it's my life. It's and uh, you know, cancer is my biggest passion. Uh, you know, and t- for making that change, but actually because of Mum's story, uh, and I suppose all that life's, you know, w- what's happened in my life, it's it's really seeing how I can help other people that have experienced similar things, and I can reel off millions of things that actually, you know, everybody focuses on, obviously, Harry and cancer and da da da, but as I say, there's so many areas that actually I can just tweak what I'm doing now, but tweak it for people in other things, and I I wanna stop this, where people are, as I say, spiraling until they reach absolute rock bottom, till they reach out to the GP and get support. And quite often when they do that, they've got a further six, nine months wait, you know. Um, 
So I want to offer something in the immediacy and to talk about these, you know, I'm um, looking at doing sort of vlogs and sharing my story on each topic and um, and inviting people to have a bit of a chat forum to come in and talk and open up, you know, obviously anonymously. Um, so there's many ways and it's, it's a food for thought at the moment. I have started the groundwork of doing it, but the one thing, he might not be on this earth anymore, but my son does not give me time. <laughs> 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 is he kind of going right get on with it yeah right, yeah absolutely next, next one, next one. <laughs> um and how do you how do you find and carve time for yourself and when you do that what do you do because you are so you are so busy you are so on the run you are so mm-hmm. on the go all the time and I almost feel like slow down you gotta give yourself yeah. some rest what do you do um it, <laughs> I'm constantly looking and reviewing things, you know, as I say, I mean, I, I have to do a lot of planning for the charity. I, I, I Currently, I do our sort of social media as well, I do a lot of fundraising, a lot of events, and I have to do talking. Um, we are a very tiny team, and I hope that one day, you know, we can grow that and make it so, you know, it's, we're only going to grow as that charity with more resource behind us and everybody having a better focus. Um, so it's, you know, it's not always the best. And that's something I've been addressing really over the last 12 months. But now I start my working day. So I actually go in the office at the Cancer Centre for 5.30 in the morning. I get three and a half hours uninterrupted time, um, you know, and I just try and organise myself so that I've got specific days for specific things. And, you know, I always feel some you know I always love to support anybody that's supporting the charity but it can be very hard and I have to make people aware look there's only one of me and um there's so much support and love and strength to go around helping people but actually if people want me at their events or to be a speaker or da 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 you know they've got to get in my diary quick because once I've got something no matter how big or small everybody's support is important and I won't I won't cancel a smaller thing for a bigger thing that comes along or opportunity it's um you know then that's my commitment to people really because whatever whatever they're organizing the same amount of effort goes in you know um, 5:30 in the morning every day this isn't every day i mean stop yeah. do you go to the movies do you go for a massage or no, what, do you, what, no. what do you do to relax georgie <laughs> come on you my must, garden you must. Yeah, yeah my garden so i do now have uh well i'm in quite a new relationship which is about 12 months and um Ooh. yeah my partner is very you know he's lovely and he's very supportive and and that that also you know sometimes the with how busy I am that has in the past affected relationships because there's not many people that are going to put up with you know but it's my passion and I hope that I can change that and slow down a little bit you know as time moves forward but until I get the right structure it is what it is for now so there's no point worrying about it and no, no point you know and this no. is the whole thing about the mental it's right it is what it is for now we're working on it we're addressing things so that we can have more us time um tell but, me about your garden how's it looking at the moment my garden looks amazing what are you into yeah, plants and shrubs so, in it what are you doing yeah, what have you done yeah. to it paint us so, a picture of your we've garden. had a surprise visit recently so mm. both our cancer center and my home have had a garden makeover <gasps> that's amazing yeah. Who's uh, that? Was that someone like alan titchmarsh or something like that oh can't say anything <laughs> oh <Ooh, ooh. laughs> my friend alan how cool is that <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, so it's all very lovely. But, I mean, I sit out there in all weathers. And for me, because life is so busy and I constantly bounce from one meeting to the next, when I get home, you know, my favourite thing is just to be at home and um, sit in the garden and chill normally with a large glass of gin after a certain time of course I was hoping you were going to say like gin tea right totally yeah yeah. loving all the gin flavours at the moment and just it's my reflection time you know it's my it's my sanctuary it's what keeps me sane because I love the peace and tranquility Mm. so I'm out there you know I can be out there at all hours and all weathers Um, but there's nothing more beautiful I think and um, yeah just transformational really just to sit and have that peace and serenity yeah um especially after you've had a busy day which everybody everybody's busy you know in today's society everybody's going a million miles an hour whatever they're doing Mm. and i think we all need to just go and breathe excellent i'm so glad you have that time for yourself as well and that you you know it feels like you absolutely have to keep that time carved out for yourself that relaxed time that reflection that mindfulness yeah it's it, it's important and i think it's important to everybody and yeah i think uh, we 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 have to look after ourselves you know and sometimes only we can do it please make sure whatever you do whatever your life's about take time for you and look after yourself wow how was that thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed george's interview and it gave you food for thought Um, I'd really like to hear your reaction to it and even some suggestions on who you might like to see featured in future editions. You can do that on social media. You can tweet at Fab Woman Podcast, all one word. Um, And I hope you come back for the next one. See you soon. The Fabulous Woman Podcast is a Raging Brum production. 